Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you here this morning. We're continuing our series through the book of Hebrews. We'll be in chapter 3 today. And we've entitled this series, Jesus is Greater. He's Greater Than All. Uh, Before we dig into the message today, I wanted to give you an update about our efforts yesterday. Uh, Several of us met out here yesterday morning and headed over into our neighborhood behind the church. As as I've been talking to to you about this for the last year, uh, we've uh, called the neighborhood behind our church our neighborhood. There's 800 households behind us here. If you take and look at Forest Hills, Tarboro, Raleigh Road and Ward Boulevard, just kind of make a rectangle. There's 800 houses right behind us. And we thought, what a shame it would be if the people right behind our our church building didn't know about Jesus. And so we've been coming up with strategies and ideas about how to make sure every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. And so uh, yesterday, we went out with these little bags of candy, and we knocked on 100 doors and uh, invited them to a block party uh, in one of our members' houses this coming week, in their driveway to be exact. And I was like, I wonder how this is going to go, like knocking on a door and you get your little bag of candy, how's this going to go? But what was really cool is most everybody opened the door and talked to us, and they're a little off-put at first, like, like okay, why are you knocking on my door? We're giving you some candy uh, just to let you know we're having a party in your neighborhood uh, on Halloween night, bring your kids, or the street I was on, bring your grandkids, it seemed like what I was saying a lot, and uh, come and join us, we're going to be cooking hot dogs, etc. And it was just kind of a lot, a lot of fun, we weren't promoting our church, we were just saying, come meet your neighbors. And uh, the reason we're doing this is because we love Jesus, and we just want to let you know about that. And, and, and so, several of the people invited me into their house and like told me stories about their lives and stuff like that. I met one fellow that just moved here from New York, wanted to see if we could find a buyer for his snow machine to clean the driveway. I said, You're gonna, you probably should have sold that before you left New York, okay? <laughs> Not going to see a lot of snow down here. Another lady, I said, bring your grandkids. She says, I don't have any grandkids. Can I come? And I said, absolutely. Yeah, please come. So it was a great time yesterday, and I wanted to give you an update about that. We want to reach our neighborhood, not just our neighborhood behind this building, but we want to reach your neighborhood too. And so uh, we're, we're praying about that as we uh, see God move in our church. Well, here we are, Hebrews chapter 3, and we've entitled this message, uh, A Greater Glory. A greater glory. The theme of this of this book is found in Hebrews chapter one, verse four. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. And that's where we get the name of the series. He's greater. And so we've already been covering that he's greater. We've talked about how he has a greater name. He he he's he's got a greater message, uh, a greater salvation. Now today, a greater glory. Now what is glory? What is glory? One of the synonyms that, that I often visualize when I think of glory is the, is the word beauty. It kind of has a, a sort of a synonymous feeling for me with, with beauty, something that's beautiful. And, but then when you try to define glory or beauty, you run into trouble because as we know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's, it's hard to define what beauty is. I heard someone say it's easier to define basketball than it is beauty. You can see it's this round thing, you throw it in a hoop and you can bounce it. And before you know it, if you've never seen one, you kind of get an idea. But beauty, that's a whole other 
thing. You look it up in the dictionary, the word glory, uh, high renown, honor, magnificence, great beauty, high praise, even worship. We will often lean towards worshiping that which we find glorious. And, and we have a human tendency to look for glory, to look for beauty. We, we, we see something or someone, and we, we admire it. We, we want to gaze at it and take a longer look. We'll even open up our pocketbooks and offer that kind of honor. We'll pay for it, for, for glory. These days, the most obvious uh, place that we see people giving glory to someone is artists, musical artists, other kind of uh, Hollywood artists, or great athletes. You'll see, we'll give a lot of glory to artists and athletes. Perhaps the latest and greatest example of this is that new power couple. You've probably seen and heard about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, right? Household names in the industry for good reason. You, you know, Taylor Swift, uh, songwriter, producer, currently estimated to have a net worth of over $600 million. That's a lot of honor right there, right? Uh, and, and she's on course to be a billionaire before the next 12 months goes by. Her, her tour, the Eras Tour, is in movie theaters now. It's like a three-hour movie. It's estimated it's going to generate $2 billion globally. And this is a singer. You've heard of her, right? The, this is how much honor and glory she's achieving. And uh, I've even heard many of you in our lobby, apparently many of you are members of what's called the Swifties, uh, the, the fan club, and, and some of you are like, oh, I've already seen it, and, I, I, and then somebody else goes, I've seen it twice. Now, what about Travis Kelsey, the star tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs? He was signed in 2013. He's, won, he's been involved in winning two Super Bowls. He recently, in 2020, signed a four-year extension for $57 million. Poor, poor Travis. He's not even close to his girlfriend, but man, I guess he can get by with that much. He makes about $5 million a year in endorsements because of his name has glory, and so people pay him to sell stuff on TV for them. And as a matter of fact, since he's been dating uh, uh, Taylor Swift, his social media presence has grown 400%. Because the Swifties are now, they're now following him. See, this could go either way, though. This could go either way. It just depends on how things work out for him. The NFL has even reported that since Taylor Swift is sitting in the stands watching Travis Kelsey play football, that their earnings and attendance have gone up. There's something about the glory that we will attribute to people. We'll even pay for it. And we give glory to a lot of things. We give glory to a glorious sunrise over the ocean. We, we gaze at uh, a mountain range and we see perhaps the snowy peaks and we give wonder as we take a long look at it. We sometimes maybe uh, lay on our backs. I don't do much of that anymore, but I remember when I used to do this and look up at a beautiful blue sky. Uh, we, we admire glory. We gaze upon it. We look at it. But today I would remind us that we tend to lower our eyes to reflections of the truly glorious. What we see, what is beautiful, and it's hard to figure out the science of beauty. It's something that we just know, glory. It's really a reflection of something higher. 
and we lower our eyes to the reflections and put all of our attention there rather than remembering where it comes from. Paul wrote about this in Romans. Let me read that quickly just to remind you. Romans chapter 1, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. We, this is what the sin nature does. It causes us to lower our gaze to things of this world rather than giving our glory and attention to God. But that's what the sermon's about today. It's about looking at Jesus, recognizing His greater glory. We'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And in this passage, the author told the Hebrew background believers that believed in Jesus to closely consider Jesus and to consider Him worthy of the highest glory. And I believe today, as we look at, at this text, we'll see three reasons why we should give our highest glory to Jesus. Let's look at it. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God." Now Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. This is God's word. Amen. We're looking for three reasons why Jesus is worthy of the greatest glory. Here's the first reason. Because he is the builder of God's house. He's the builder of God's house. Let me direct your attention to verse 3, first of all, so you can see where our sermon title comes from. Circle the phrase if you're taking notes in your bulletin. Verse 3, more glory and much more glory. Do you see that? It's a greater glory. In earlier chapters, we saw that he was making the case he, he's, he's got greater glory because he's the last word. He's got greater glory than the angels. Now he's moved on to Moses, the lawgiver. He has greater glory than that hero of the Jewish faith. And so he's got much more glory. Now when my daughter was, uh, was at home, young, growing up, we used to play this little game. You've heard me talk about it perhaps before. Uh, where at bedtime we had to tell each other we love each other because that was a requirement at our house. You had to do night-night prayers. You had to tell your, that you loved each other. But as she would be leaving the living room, uh, doing her uh, goodbyes to go up to the bed uh, upstairs, she would say, I love you, and I would say, I love you more. And then she would take off running so she could get the last word as she's going up and say, I love you the most. And I would yell, I love you infinity. And then I would hear her I love you infinity times two. There's nothing wrong with loving people, is there? Telling each other you love each other. But here we see in the book of Hebrews, he's got glory times infinity times two. He's got much more glory. Now, he doesn't 
do this by diminishing Moses. He, he doesn't pull Moses down. He's talking to the Hebrews who've now started believing in Jesus, and they know they've got the book, the Old Testament's their book, and Moses is their lawgiver, and he's a great man. They venerate him. And he's not tearing Moses down. He's just saying, yeah, Moses, he's faithful. He, he's got glory because he was faithful. But not like Jesus. Oh, he's got much more glory. You, that's what I want you to hear. And, and then the, the first case he makes is because of this. He says, because Moses, he didn't build the house. He's in the house. Moses is in the house. <laughs> but he didn't build it. Jesus built it. Do you see that? This is, what, this is what we're talking about in this first reason, that he's the builder of the house. Notice a few things. We'll back up here and kind of look. Notice this passage starts off with the word therefore. And we should always ask when we see the word therefore, what's it there for? And it points to that which has been spoken previously. And so we have two chapters of where we've been hearing. He's the greatest prophet. He's the greatest king. He's the greatest high priest. He's greater than the angels. And now, for, now therefore, holy brothers, which is inclusive of brothers and sisters, holy brethren. Why holy? Well, he told us back in chapter 2, because you've been sanctified by Jesus. You've been made holy. So therefore, since you are holy, what? And he gives you uh, this attribute that you have. You who share in a heavenly calling. We share in that which Christ has won for us, this heavenly calling, that this is no longer our home, but we are pilgrims. We are wayfaring pilgrims, strangers passing through this world until we get to our heavenly home. We have a heavenly calling. Then he gives us one command. There's only one command in these six verses, one imperative Greek verb translated consider. Consider what? More likely, consider who? Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Take a look at Jesus. Consider him. I want you to think about him. That word consider, it doesn't mean just a passing glance, glance or a knowing nod. It means to look closely, to observe, uh, to pay close attention, to fix your thoughts upon Jesus. That's what he says, since he's done all this, therefore, since he's made you holy and you share in the calling, I want you to think about Jesus. I want you to consider him. That's why we're gathered here on the first day of the week, the day that we remember that on the first day of the week he rose from the grave. We, we're a forgetful people. It's something about us, we're very forgetful. And as we get older, we find out we're even more forgetful. Would you remember Jesus? Think on Jesus. Consider Jesus. And he names a couple of attributes of Jesus. One is strange. In fact, this is the only place in all of Scripture that they call Jesus an apostle. Do you see it? It says, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. The apostle I've never heard that before, but certainly he is just that. The word apostolos in Greek just means one sent. One who has been sent. In fact, Jesus tells us this in John chapter 20. He says, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even I, even so, I am sending you. 
And so he was an apostle of the Father. He was sent by the Father. Here the author of Hebrews says he's an apostle. He also says he's a high priest of our confession. He's the, he's the founder of our salvation, we learned in chapter 2. He, the, the faith that we confess, he's the one who's, who came and brought it to us. He's the one sent. And he's also the one who made it right, who offered a sacrifice to make it right. Uh, that's who it is. And it says in verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him. In other words, Jesus was faithful to the Father who sent him. Okay? Just as Moses. Now he brings Moses in. And remember the Jews? Wow. They, they consider Abraham the father of their faith, but Moses the lawgiver, he's the one who brought them out of Egyptian captivity and brought them to the promised land and gave them the, the law, went up on, on the mount and brought down the Ten Commandments. They venerate him. He has great glory in the house of Israel, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. He's not diminishing Moses. Moses had a lot of glory. He was faithful in God's house. What's God's house? That word house is in there like six or seven times in these six verses. What is God's house? What is that? God's house. Well, if we were looking at the Old Testament, it would probably be referring to the tabernacle or the temple. That's what, for the Jewish background believers, they would be like, yeah, it's the temple. That's what they would think. But the Bible keeps progressively revealing more to us about what we uh, mean by God's house. And by the time we get to the New Testament, we find out that God's house is actually us. It's actually the believers, the church, not this building. This is an old movie theater that we bought. Okay? It's kind of easy to tell when we're in this room, right? We can still, still remember. Aren't you thankful for the cup holders? Okay? Yeah. You can still smell popcorn if you take a big whiff. It's still, it's somewhere in the building. We can't get rid of it. Okay? But that's just, just a building, and it's only the church because we're here, because the church is the, is the people, not the steeple. We're the church. And so by the time we get to the New Testament, we know it's the church. It's the people of God. And even more than that, God's house is you and me, because the Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we're the temple or the house of God. You're the house of God, and the Bible says Jesus built you. He's your builder. He deserves the great. Now, you're in the house. Praise God, you get some glory. Moses is in the house, and so are you. But the one who gets the greatest glory is the architect and builder of the house. He's, he's the one who built the house. We're working through the verses here. God's house, that's the church. That's us. Verse 3, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house. So Moses is in the house, he is the house, but, and so are we, but Jesus is the builder. The builder has more glory. And then we have a parenthesis in verse 4, just reminding us, for every house is built by someone. Like, do you ever look at a house and go, I think that house appeared by itself. That would be very unscientific, wouldn't it? However, there are scientists who think the universe appeared by itself. Isn't that odd? But this was what the Scripture says, every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. The builder of all things is God. And this shows a high view of Jesus because He's the builder and He is one with God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three personalities. Then we go on to verse uh, 5, but we'll stop right there, verse 4. 
He's got more honor, more glory, much more because he's the builder. Remember what he told Peter when Peter gave that great confession. We read it in Matthew chapter 16. Who do people say I am? Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood does not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus never told us to build the church. He told us to be the church. If you'll be the church, I'll build the church. That was something that took me a little while when we first planted this church. I felt this pressure, like how do we build the church? I'm trying to figure out how to grow the church, build the church. And finally, I got this insight from God's Word that, no, my, my role is to make disciples, our role is to make disciples together, to be the church, to be like Jesus, because we are the house. It's His job to build it, to add number to our, our, our group, to, to draw people in. And if you're here, it's because Jesus brought you here. You might think, well, such and such told me about it, or I, I'm a Google guest. I found it on Google when I Googled churches. And we'll, well, you might think that, but Jesus is the builder. He brought you here. He's the one who made us. The builder is worth, worthy of more glory than the building. Michelangelo is worthy of more glory than St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome. Galileo is worthy of more praise than the telescope. Fulton is uh, deserving of more glory than the steam engine. Bell more than the telephone. Uh, Edison more than the light bulb. And even Elon Musk more than PayPal, Tesla, or SpaceX all tied together. These are names we know because they built something. But the greatest name of all is the builder of all things. And that's Jesus. He's the architect and builder of the church, which is the people of God. He's worthy of greater glory. Would you consider Jesus? That's the one command in this passage. Meditate on Him. To consider means to do more than just a passing, fleeting thought. Think on Him. Give Him your closest contemplation. Gaze upon him. Think about it. He's the builder of God's house, which is the church, the family of God. And we share in this heavenly calling to be members of his house. Here's the second. That was the first reason that he's got the greatest glory. The second is because he is the, fulf the fulfillment of God's word. He is the fulfillment of God's word. We're at verse 5 now. Moses was faithful, it says, in, in all God's house as a servant. So he's faithful in God's house as a servant. To do what? To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. And what does that mean? To testify to the things. A couple of thoughts, first of all. The word servant is unusual here. It Usually when you see the word servant in the Greek, and Greek is the original language of the New Testament, you'll see doulos, which is servant or, or slave, You'll see diakonos, which is servant, which we get the word deacon from that word. But very rarely do you ever encounter this word, therapone. Therapone. It's where we get the word therapy or therapist. And it's translated servant here. Moses was that. He was the one, he was an attendant, a servant whose job was to bear testimony to things that are to come. Uh, what does it say? Uh, he was to testify to things that were to be spoken later. In other words, he's pointing to something that hasn't happened yet. What's he talking about here? 
He's talking about how the life of Moses, the words of Moses, even the law that God gave Moses was a, a thing pointing to the Messiah's coming. That Moses was a type uh, a foreshadowing, if you will, so that when we look at Moses, we see glory, but he's pointing actually to the one who is the source of glory. He's the testimony. The King James maybe is a better translation in verse 5. It says it like this, Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. So his life, everything he does, is this testimony towards these things that will be spoken later. So this whole thing back here, the Old Testament, is, is pointing towards something that happens and takes place that's recorded in the New Testament. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Moses was a servant of that, but Jesus is the Son who brought that. He's the fulfillment of God's Word, therefore he deserves a greater glory. Now verse 5 of Hebrews is a near quote of Numbers 12.7. And, and he loves quoting, the author of Hebrews loves quoting the Old Testament because he's speaking to a Hebrew background audience. And Numbers 12.7 says, Not so with my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house. That was God speaking. Moses was faithful, but Jesus is even more faithful. The book of Hebrews really helps us with something today. It helps us to know how to read the Old Testament. You read the book of Hebrews, and it's really showing, here's, here's what this means, here's what this means. It goes back and looks, and it's helping us with this one singular idea. Look for Jesus on every page. Look for Jesus in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament is speaking about the one who will come later, this last word that's coming through Jesus. Jesus never came to abolish what Moses did. He came to fulfill it. Uh, he says this in John chapter 5, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. He's saying this to the Hebrews that were listening to Jesus during that time. If you'll study Moses closely, you'll recognize he was talking about me the whole time. In fact, he says over in Matthew, Do not think that I've come to, ab to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. He came to fulfill what the lawgiver, Moses, brought. And he had very uh, keen awareness that he was doing that. Even on the night that he was betrayed and the soldiers came to arrest him on that night before he was crucified, he says this in Mark chapter 14, Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the Scriptures be fulfilled. Even at that moment he knew, I'm going through something here, but I'm doing it that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. He's greater than all, and he's greater than Moses, the lawgiver. Moses gave water from a rock, but, paint, but, but Paul said that the rock was Christ. Moses gave them bread from heaven, but Jesus said, I am the bread uh, of heaven that comes down from heaven. Moses delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, but Jesus delivers us from slavery to sin. Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness and told the people that had been snake-bitten were dying to look upon the bronze servant and believe, and they would be healed. But Jesus was lifted up on Golgotha and became 
the, the symbol of our suffering, taking our death, tasting death in our place so that all those who would look upon Him would be saved. He's got greater glory. Moses pointed to Him, but Jesus fulfills it. Consider Jesus. Meditate on Him. Think on Him. Give Him your careful contemplation. As believers, we're not called to, to, to add anything to what He's done. He's finished the mission. Our role as believers is to consider Jesus and His great glory. And as we consider Him, it pulls us towards being like Him because He's doing the work in us. We meditate and consider Him. Well, here's the third reason. It's because He's the builder of the house. He's the fulfillment of God's Word. And then finally, because He is the Son over God's house. He is the Son over God's house. Let's look at verse 5 briefly, and then we'll look at verse 6. Remember, Moses is the servant in. Did you see that? Verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. So he's in the house as a servant. But now verse 6 says, but Christ is faithful over God's house. Not in, over. He's over God's house as a son. He's, he's, not, he's not the butler. No, he's not, he's not the butler. He's the son. He's the prince. He's the sovereign over the house. He has a greater glory as a result. And he's not finished here. He says, we are his house. That's beautiful right there. In case you weren't sure up until now about what God's house represents, it represents us. All the holy ones that Jesus has sanctified by faith in Him, we are His house. You're His house. I'm His house. He lives in us by His Holy Spirit. You're God's house. He takes up residence in you, and you belong to Him. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, But now you belong to Christ Jesus. At one time you were far away from God. Now you've been brought close to Him. Christ did this for you when He gave His blood on the cross. Now we are His house. He's the builder. He's the architect. If you are in the house, you belong to Jesus. And He deserves your highest contemplation He's worthy of the highest glory. And then he goes on, he goes, and if we are his house, I'm sorry, and we are his house, if. Now, I would say that word if usually introduces a conditional statement. If P, then Q. If, uh, if, if this is true, then that is true. But here, it, it can also introduce not a conditional statement, but it can also show evidence of something that's already true. So it's more of an, uh, a clue into something evidentiary, like the word since. And that word if can be from the Greek translated since. And I wrote my own translation just to kind of clarify it uh, of, from the Greek. And, and I wrote, since we are His house, let us hold fast to our confidence and keep on glorying in our hope in Christ Jesus. Because the idea is not here. I don't want you to read it like, if I don't hold fast my confidence and keep on boasting in my hope, then I get kicked out of the house. That would be looking at it conditionally. That's not what he's saying. He's saying something more like this. Jesus has done everything necessary, and you belong to him now. You're his house. And since that's true, 
Keep on, keep your confidence, keep your hope. Not like, if you don't keep your hope and your confidence, you're going to get kicked out of the house. That's not what this is saying. This is saying, since you've got this Jesus, this glorious Jesus, and he's done all, he built you, he, he put you in his house, and you belong to him, keep up your hope. Hold fast to your hope. Keep boasting in your hope. Keep, keep your confidence way high. Because look at him. He's awesome. He's the glorious one. Like that. You with me? You still with me? You staying with me on this? Okay. It's a beautiful passage. We are his house. I'm so glad we are his house and that we can have confidence that he's the one who built us and made, made us part of his house. And we can boast not in ourselves. Here's the thing. We're so tempted. See, the thing about glory is we want some of it on us. I, maybe that's why we're attracted to glory and beauty because we want to be glorious and beautiful too. This is why we do selfies. This is, you know, we see a sunset and we go, got like one eyeball and there's the sun. You got like part of your face. Ooh, let me try again. Like that. Like, we do selfies. And if we see somebody famous, like on stage or something, and like, I won't name anybody, but I know some of you have told me that you've already seen it twice, watched that thing for three hours twice. Some of you Swifties out there. Like, like maybe you're at the theater going, click, I'm at the theater. And I've got glory now, too, because my face is in the selfie with Taylor Swift or with fill-in-the-blank, whoever you find glorious or whatever. Because we want to be part of it. We want some of that glory on us. And part of that is not sinful. Part of it goes back to our purpose that we were made in God's image to reflect His glory. And so part of it is going back to God's purpose for us, but part of it is bent because then we don't share with Him. I, I don't think we're going to be in heaven waiting in line to get a picture made with Jesus. I don't think that's how it's going to work. But somehow, we are going to share in His glory. Somehow, we'll share in His heavenly calling. That was verse 1 that we just read. Holy brothers and sisters who share... In the heavenly calling to glory. Isn't that what we call it? Isn't that a synonym for heaven? We'll know when we get to glory. Because He'll be the sun and there'll be no darkness. And we'll walk in His light. And the light will reflect. I'm telling you, you could look around the room right now and go, some of you, in, in different people's opinion, well, that's a beautiful person. That person's more beautiful than that. And we would like to figure that out. But you have no idea how glorious the people around you are going to be in heaven. You have no idea when, 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 when we are seen as we truly are. God has an intent for us. And, but but, but we, we try to cheat it, and we lower our eyes and, and, and fail to put our glory on Jesus. Now, this is Jesus. He's over God's house, but he's also under God's house. Look at 1 Peter. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He's also, so he's also the cornerstone. Remember back in chapter 2 when we said he's the high priest, but he's also the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice. He's the high priest, but he also brings the offering. Well, here he is. He's the builder of the house, but he's also the cornerstone. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the founder. He's the architect. He's in all and over all. He's the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Honors a synonym for glory. And you are living stones. That's us. 
that God is building into His spiritual temple. What's more, you are His holy priest. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So you're living stones. Not rolling stones, living stones. That's us, and we're part of God's house. And why do we live? Well, Paul says in Romans, if we live, it's to honor, it's to glorify the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor, it's to glorify the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Consider Jesus. That's, that's my, my total job this morning. I got up this morning thinking, how can I first consider Jesus and how can I invite you to join me? Come and look at this sunset with me. Hey, 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 turn off the TV. Hey, turn, put, your, put your iPhone away. Put your smartphone away. Come outside and look at this sunset with me. Oh, I'm kind of busy right now. No, come and look. And like, oh, wow. Come and look at this rainbow. Hey, come and look at this. Just, let's just sit. Let's just sit on the back porch and look at this. Let's just, let's just sit on the beach and look at this. Like that. We do that. But here's what, here's what we're doing this Sunday morning. I don't know if you're doing it with me. I don't know if you're, what you're thinking about right now, but could you just give me a second? Would you consider Jesus? Would you just give Him your deepest contemplation? Would you just really think about Him? That's what this sermon's about. It's not a how-to sermon. It's a look at Jesus. It's a consider Jesus sermon. He deserves our greatest glory. Have you heard of this woman named Lilius Trotter? She lived back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Originally from London, England, she was a great artist as a young woman. In fact, other famous art critics saw in her early work uh, such potential that they were willing to invest in her to go to art school, but she turned it down because while she loved art, she loved sharing the gospel more. And she had a heart, I don't know how she heard about it, but she heard about the lost people, the Muslims in the North African country of Algeria. That, that's a desert land right there on the Sahara. And she just got a broken heart. This young woman named Lilius, she wanted to go and share the gospel with the Algerians. And so she went before mission boards and churches and everyone turned her down. Said, you're single, you're young, you're a woman among Muslims in North Africa. No, I'm sorry. We, that's, we can't do it. We can't send you. So she went anyway. She went anyway because she felt called. And she spent 40 years of her life sharing the gospel in the desert with people on camels and living in tents. And she lived in obscurity, and you've never heard of her. I know you haven't, unless you know the rest of the story as we look at it. She wrote a poem. And this poem so influenced another woman that it became a song. Now here's the end of the poem. It's a long poem. I'll just give you the end of the poem that Lilius Trotter wrote. Turn full your soul's vision to Jesus and look. Look at him. And a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him. And the divine attraction by which God's saints are made will lay hold of you. For he is worthy to have all there is to be had in the heart that he has died to win. And that's the end of her point. And then another woman in 1922, right at the end of Trotter's life, a woman named Helen Lamell, wrote a song based on being inspired by Trotter's poem. 
Maybe you remember the chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That's what we have to do. We have to pull our affections off of those things that we give glory to and turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will just fade away. They'll grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Oh, would you look at Him? One command, one purpose for this sermon from this book of Hebrews for each of us today. Consider Jesus. He's the greatest. He has the greatest glory. Consider Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I first lift up that person today that's never considered Jesus until today. But today you hear His voice. He's talking to you. He's knocking on your heart's door. He's asking to be invited in. He's a gentleman. He won't kick the door in, but he'll knock. Would you answer? Would you invite him into your life? You can do that through prayer right now. You can pray along with me. If it's your heart's desire, the Scripture says, if you confess Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so would you just do that right now, just along with me, dear Lord Jesus, just pray. I'm a sinner, but I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were raised from the grave, that you live today. I believe that. I invite you to come into my life as my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Make me the person you want me to be. I want to be a child of God. I want to be in the house. I want to be in your house, Father. I believe in you, Jesus, and I want you as my Lord and Savior. If you're praying that prayer, believe in He'll save you. Others are here today, and you're a believer, but you've gotten distracted, maybe even by Christian things. You started thinking, well, if I read enough, if I pray enough, if I... there's nothing to be added. He's done it all. Talk to Him. Look to Him. Gaze upon Him. Oh, Lord Jesus, we look at you now. We... We give you our highest consideration. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us this calling. Thank you for preparing heaven for us. Thank you for an eternal future that you've already purchased for us. Oh, you are glorious. And we bow before you. In Jesus' name, amen.